From Relay FM, this is Download, episode number 105, recorded June 6, 2019, live from WWDC. Welcome back to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I'm Jason Snell, and I am joined as frequently by Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hello. I'm the the wandering co-host of the show. The occasional... Co-host at large. Occasional producer slash co-host slash... Sometimes I'm not here. Sometimes not <laughs> present, Stephen Hackett. And we are joined by two wonderful guests here at the Apple Podcast Studio inside the McHenry Convention Center in San Jose, California for Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. Uh, I am joined literally to my left. That's sort of a clockwise thing we say, but it's true this time by Accidental Tech Podcast's very own John Syracusa. Hello. It's so exciting to be here in the Apple Podcast Studio. I guess I missed out on the year where it was like uh, the walls were covered with stuff from 2001, but it's still pretty cool. Last year, we were podcasting from within a styrofoam cube. There you go. Uh, this year, it is different, but we are here and across from uh, me at the table is a frequent download guest, Shelly Brisbane. Hi, Shelly. Hello, and I'm glad you keep track of those so that we can look on the right side of the spreadsheet and see how we compare to our fellow frequent guests. To see who wins. Yes. You can't win Winning if you is don't very play. Important. Can I come from behind in this episode and win? Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, just appear. You get many extra times. points for a live yeah. appearance. Yeah, you do. You get bonus points for that. So we should start by talking about. Uh, let's talk about WWDC in this episode. That's a good idea. I think let's give that Wait, a shot. I prepared for Microsoft and Google. Oh no! And, oh no! I haven't been reading the tech news this week. <laughs> Same. I've been busy living. I've been living the tech news this week. That's what's been happening. It's good. A, yeah, mm-hmm. it had to be done. So uh, Stephen put an item in our spreadsheet called general feelings. So, hey, Stephen, how you feeling? Uh, I think I think I'm excited. I mean, there's there's so much to process during this week. And Apple is such a large company with so many different platforms. One new platform this week, which I think we're, we'll get to. But all in all, it feels like one of these years where no matter what sort of camp you're in in the Apple ecosystem, whatever your favorite platform or favorite devices you've gotten good news ipad people got good news mac people got really good news dark mode people got good news it feels like everybody's pretty upbeat i know developers are really excited about uh, some technology coming their way to make building their apps in more dynamic ways and and more flexible ways they seem excited too so i think it's a gold star pretty much all the way around who are the dark mode people? <laughs> I well, know, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to call myself one of those dark right. mode people. I just, do you have like a flag, like a black flag? Uh, you we'll be working on the pins really soon, but you won't be able to see them if you're wearing a black jacket. They're very pale people. They don't like the light. They just, <laughs> Stop looking always, at me, John. They're, they're always squinting. Like, the light, it burns me. I need dark okay, mode. Okay, now oh, we know boy. who the dark mode people are. It's good. That could be the title of this episode if we had a title. Uh, Shelly, feelings? I agree with Stephen. It does seem like everybody got a little bit of what they wanted. There were plenty of rumors that were confirmed, but there were also enough surprises that the sort of showmanship choreography part feels right. And from a news creator point of view, we learned stuff. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, that rumor was right. Now give us the confirmation. And uh, there's a lot of energy just among the people wandering around, you know, nerdy things like Swift UI or exciting the developer crowd. And uh, I, it, it, and this is my first WWDC in a really long time, so I maybe have a little bias in that regard, but it just feels like there's a lot of energy, a lot of energy from 
uh, the nerdiest corners of the conference, but as well from those of us who just, you know, wander around the fridges and try to understand what all that crazy code stuff means, too. I think there's something to be said for the idea that Apple did a good job of of satis- satisfying or at least touching on all of its constituencies this time in terms of like, I, I haven't heard somebody, maybe there's an Apple TV fan or something out there going, hey, what about me? Oh, you got profiles for Apple TV. Even yeah, those see, people are happy. Yeah, I mean, everybody got, I feel like uh, they didn't do everything, right? Because that's literally impossible. They can't provide every single feature that everybody is dreaming of. Sure, the the, the numbers camp, you know, maybe they'll get an update this fall. <laughs> Spreadsheet people. Yeah, that's, good. that's right, great. The numbers camp. Are they, they next to they the were, dark mode people? Is they're that picketing that outside. Well, it, it was actually funny because when they were doing the voice control demo, which we'll talk about a little later, they kept talking about numbers and it was you know a way of entering numbers mm-hmm. and i thought oh wait do you mean like the spreadsheet i mean the, the, the numbers what okay so the numbers people did have the word said aloud because it wasn't <laughs> there, exactly there in context were numbers in numbers the presentation. were mentioned yes they should have done that that numbers demo with numbers because you yes. wouldn't you wouldn't need the overlay because there already are row and column indicators precisely amazing john what are your general feelings i mean it's hard for me to be, uh, you know, to get perspective on this because, as far as I'm concerned, this WWDC is the Mac Pro show. Uh, but I know that's just my perspective. Um, I, I think the the I think you already I agree with all your sentiments that that most people are satisfied. And I think the best example of that is that nobody I haven't heard anybody at the show complain about the laptop keyboards. Right? So like, there's no there's no new laptop that fixes the keyboard, but there's so much other good stuff that it's not on the top of anybody's mind because everyone else is thinking of all the good things that got announced. Uh, you know, in a few weeks, we'll go back to complaining about the laptop keyboards again, right? But for now, it's all, you know, roses and stars in our eyes. Well, and two years ago, Apple did have that whole, like, you know, we're sorry <laughs> moment uh, and we are going to do a Mac Pro and we, we're going to change direction. And I think there's a lot of evidence that that's true. And the, the Mac Pro is is a big big piece of evidence that they they did change direction uh and so i think we can complain about things like the keyboard and do but um i'm willing to give them a little bit of uh, more slack in the in the rope (laughs) or something like that of, of like i believe that they have shown with like the pace of the macbook pro updates and the existence of the mac pro that they have changed their attitude toward the mac somewhat and so you know even areas that still need to be um addressed i have a little more confidence i'm not despairing about the idea that they don't they aren't aware about uh, you know issues with the laptops and that they're probably I, I, there's going to be something. Yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, I feel this, fairly this, confident. The 16 inches coming in, in short order and like, but in in a lesser year, WWC people could be like, oh, I wish the 16 inch had been ready because without that, like the keynote wasn't as good. Right. Like that's what we we're all waiting for. And nobody is saying that because the keynote expanded to fill all available yeah, there's space. There's so much other stuff to be jazzed about, and we all know that it's coming. So we don't have time to be disappointed that the, the one thing that didn't quite make the show, you know, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, we we can dig into a few of the details uh, now that we've gotten our general feelings out. I agree with everybody, by the way. I think I think the the pace of the keynote showed that there was just an enormous volume of stuff that Apple. I, and, and there's this argument about like, well, why couldn't they, they do that every year? And I think the answer is so much of what we saw this year is stuff mm-hmm. that they have been working on in the background for years and are pulling the trigger on now. And that's like Swift UI and it's Catalyst. Like, there's so much stuff. The Mac Pro for a few the, the, years, the iPad multitasking that was booted from last year, reportedly. Exactly. So th- this is that's how you get a, a year like this. Mm-hmm. Is sure. You've got stuff stored up for three or four years or more, and then it all just kind of hits at the same time i have a confession i've been sitting here 
trying to get my way from general feelings to like kernel feelings and trying to make the joke about general and kernel, no, but then like no. kernel you in the you OS. Know what you need is a kernel. the effort. But Unfortunately, kernel extensions have been deprecated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, kernel feelings are sad then. I, I guess so. They're slightly I less so. lesser than general. Yeah. Feelings. Well, maybe don't, later. Don't, don't panic, Stephen. <clears throat> search yourself, right. and you'll find some uh, some major feelings. That was an under mm. the. A voice under joke. I think that that we I can just tell them to stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, actual stuff. Um, iPad OS. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal because the iPad for so long has been so tightly tied to the iPhone and its interface. And, and over time, they've they've broken that first with uh, you know, the, sort of the beginning of iPad multitasking where you had the app picker on the side and then iOS 11 with the dock and everything else. But this seems like a... A further commitment on Apple's part to treat the iPad as its own platform distinct from the iPhone. And I think over time they will continue to take separate paths best suited for their individual uh, sizes and capabilities. And I think that's great because the iPad does need to stand on its own if it's going to continue to take over the role of general computing for a lot of types of users. It really does free them up, doesn't it? It gives them the opportunity to add features and not be constrained by whether you can do it on an iPhone or whether it makes sense to do it on an iPhone. And so far, what we've seen is the things that are iPad-specific look to be intuitive. So if you're an iPhone user and somebody puts an iPad in your hand, you may not be a 100% power user at the beginning, but you're going to get there because it does have the DNA of the iPhone in it, and it gives them plenty of room to, to add as well. So I think it's great. I mean, it's not as if the iPad hasn't diverged from the iPhone before, but I do feel like maybe there's a hesitancy to go too far afield because we're all part of the same thing. And maybe uh, inside Apple, there's a feeling like, well, you can't take do something really wacky on the iPad because then the iPhone doesn't do that and they've diverged. And this is almost like, I mean, part, part of it is marketing and saying the iPad can be its own thing, but part of it is maybe a way of thinking of the iPad as having a license to be different from the iPhone and that that is okay. I think I think it always had that license. Like I think this is entirely a marketing thing, but that's why it's significant. It's because the changes they had this year, this is exactly the same kind of changes they've always yeah, made. It's two iPad years ago OS. and four years right. ago, it's, for it's, sure. It's, and, the, and the only difference is the name, and so it's always just marketing. Yeah, but the marketing is a signal. It's a communication, and the communication from Apple is not that we have done a new thing technologically, but it's that we will because we are thinking of it and naming and, and naming it differently, and so. The hope is that they will do more of the same things mm-hmm. in the future. But this year, what they gave us, if they didn't rename the OS, we would have been like, yep, great. This is the iPad year for more features, right? So while right. I, I endorse the name and I think the features are great, I actually thought there would be even more radical changes to the iPad than there were. Like in particular, the home screen, it's like, oh, you got widgets on the left. And that that's it? Well, in, in one level, though, I, I think about organizations being resistant to change and sort of like received wisdom that permeates organizations. And I definitely lived through this in my career as a, um, a manager of a large organization. And I think when you say it is marketing, I, I do think that, that the marketing is the mindset in a mm-hmm. way. Uh, it's like the media is the message. It's that kind of a philosophy that um, I wonder inside Apple if the people working on this stuff will feel a little bit like, like it's less sacred ground to make more radical yeah. changes in the future to the iPad. But you're right this time they could have just said it's iOS 13 yeah. with these features and, and nobody would have blinked. And there are practical considerations like internally. I don't know the answers to these questions, but like in terms of build targets and like how you, uh, how you detect what OS you're on. I don't remember what the state was before. And like, did the iPad show up as iOS and like in terms of like the constants you put in your thing or the availability, they're like, or is that, it just a you know, it, device type? Right. I'm sure there was a way to tell whether you're on, on a, an iPad. But 
changing that stuff again it's like well why change that stuff it works the system we have works now and there's, it's easy to detect whether you're on ipad why would we change it you would change it totally for symbolic reasons like just you know symbolic and practical reasons internally to to make the team feel like they are on their own thing and they're more independent even though technically speaking there's nothing they can do now that they couldn't do before it's all psychological so I'm, i hope that's the way it is. it's so hard to tell like the disconnect between marketing and engineering in any company it tends to you never never quite know how wide it is and Frequently, at Apple engineers have been disappointed in the names their things have given on because they don't control what it's called to the outside world, right? But in this case, I think that the name is like a gift from marketing to engineering, and they, you know, it'll be like it really doesn't matter what it's called. But I hope you feel better about what you're doing now that you have a, a different name. It feels like people here made the mental leap quickly from no, it's not a new operating system. It's not even a fork of the operating system that runs the phone. It's features that are specific to the iPad. And maybe that's because this is a pretty sophisticated, obviously developer-focused audience. But I think that's the only downside is if somehow calling it iPad OS confuses people. But I, I don't feel that confusion, and I am not sure what the audience is that would. No, no, no regular consumers know the name of the operating system. Well, that's a good point. Anyway. That's a super good point. It doesn't matter. on your iPhone? Right. I don't know. Software? <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for um, the space the iPad fills in Apple's product lineup that with what they're doing, which we'll talk about in a bit, with Catalyst, which is also, you know, was called Marzipan, at least by us. And in, you know, in sessions is often referred to as running iPad apps on mm-hmm. the Mac. It's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah that's not so good. Uh, There's some bad branding going mm-hmm. on there, uh, which is why I think they said Catalyst. It's got a name. The um, But that is a thing that pushes the iPad kind of toward the Mac. And so the, I, I feel like having iPad OS also sort of like gives the iPad its own like little perch to stand on instead of sharing a perch with this giant product, the iPhone, and also helps it kind of like push just, you know, a little bit closer to the Mac because essentially what Apple did was unify these app platforms. So it's good to, to, to differentiate the iPhone as much or the iPad as much as possible. Um, yeah, it's, I think that's a good thing. Also, I do think next year, the, 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 this cuts both ways. Next year, they made all this talk about iPad OS. I feel like it's going to make them hard, it harder for them to take a year off of iPad <laughs> features next year, like they've done the last two times. They might try, but I, I feel like you're calling attention to yourself mm-hmm. by doing this. I mean, they could, like, they could have a year. I mean, think of, think of Mojave. Like, they could have a year where it's like, look at the new dynamic uh, home screen background on mm-hmm. the iPad, <laughs> the new version of iPad OS. It changes with the weather. But they still do have to say something about every operating system. You're right, because we even, even tvOS, as, as little as it was discussed, got to mention, hey, these are all our platforms, yeah. and what, we're doing something. Was there any, quite, any a mention of audio OS? They always put up those slides <laughs> with all the OSs, and they're like, these are all well, our platforms. What the, the, the HomePod got multiple user right. support, but, but nobody says OS, audio OS. Well, it doesn't ever. really, I, I, don't know how, I don't know how, know how public that name is, right? It's just yeah. the home. It's like the iPod used to be. Right. Like it had a name, but it was just a device that did a thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, they talk about features, but they never talk about, and I guess, it, is it because it doesn't have a screen? Is it because it doesn't have an app store? Like, it's not a platform as far as Apple's concerned, but we all know it's just as much iOS is tvOS right right the uh good news product manager at apple is that tim cook is going to deliver your product update presentation (laughs) personally the bad news is it's going to be like two minutes and then move on (laughs) that's the hey apple tv tim did it himself good Mm -hmm. job tim uh and i thought oh this is a this is a good news bad news situation if ever there was one um also tim says star trek 
Star Trek. Yeah. That was yeah. a big uh, a big thing. That yeah, I think it's just his accent, but I know, think it is way. too. I didn't even notice, to be honest, but uh, so but, much yeah. commentary. Yeah, well, I, he'll he'll never live down the Pokemans when <laughs> 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 he discussed the Pokemans. So this is nothing like that. Uh, iOS 13 is not iPad OS. It's totally different. It's got a bunch of interesting uh, stuff in it, including. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff in there. I was going to say including voice control, but really there there are a bunch of things that they demoed in different app, like on the Mac, on iOS, on iPad. They they're on all of them, but they demoed them in a particular place. So there was a Mac demo of voice control, but it also works on the iPad and the iPhone, and it's it's all over the place. But yeah. any uh, Shelly, you have uh, some big iOS 13 thoughts? Ah, uh, well, since you teed up voice control, I'll talk about that a little bit. So uh, it was. Demoed on the Mac in the keynote, but in State of the Union, there was a really good iOS demo. And it wasn't clear to me from the keynote that it was on both platforms. They, they said it, but I kind of wanted to see it to believe it. And uh, it, it looks like a very interesting feature. There was a lot of love for accessibility generally. And uh, State of the Union particularly, there was one of those uh, giant screens full of icons going across. And accessibility was right there in the middle. And there was a specific presentation about that. So that was exciting. Um, iOS 13, of course, gets dark mode so that... Uh, those of you who want dark mode but who don't know how Smart Invert Colors works um, can get it now. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Um, it, it just feels like I, I'm interested in all the performance increases because obviously that's something we're going to have to experience to see whether that's real. And my guess is we won't be able to do that with the betas to the extent that we will be when, until it ships. So uh, at, at the moment, voice control and some of the uh, other accessibility features that, that have come to, come to all the platforms and the updates are, are pretty exciting for me. The external mouse and uh, trackpad support is an accessibility feature, and I've enjoyed what Mike Hurley has been saying this week, which is um, it is an accessibility feature because he's somebody who works with an iPad in a stand in order to elevate it, um, and he has RSI issues, and he says that he's actually really happy that he's going to be able to use a pointing device that's down on a surface instead of reaching up to touch his display. And that's, I mean, accessibility comes in lots of different forms, and it is, it, you know, it it manifests itself in different ways for different people, but it's giving you that flexibility if you need it to, to interact with the system in a different way. His take was really smart on that. And I, I think, too, his point was that as an accessibility feature, there's a little more room to roam and a little more room to figure out how it's going to work, and then Apple can maybe bring it to uh, a larger context. But uh, I'm someone who works very close to the screen that I use, and so a touch screen is kind of an odd experience. I want the screen at eye level, and so I'm probably going to try that mouse as well because... Uh, if I'm going to take advantage of all the features that the iPad has to offer in a, in a productivity context, I want a pointing device to do it. For those who didn't hear that, I'll just point out that there was just huge acclaim for accessibility happening uh, with cheers in the background here. <laughs> yes, the that's center. right. That's from what far, that was far away, for. so much accessibility love. Yeah, I don't know how sustainable that is long term, though. Like, yeah, I see as accessibility now, it's a good place for them to suss it out and figure out the changes because if they make changes from year to year and accessibility features, it's like, all right, well, you know, this worked, this didn't work, but... Long term, if this support exists, it's. I think it's just going to become more and more attractive to mainstream people. I mean, they moved accessibility up to the top level of, of the, the settings thing, right? So it shows like, hey, you might not know, but there's these features that are buried in there that you think are like are not for you, but they are for you. Like, mm-hmm. like you, have, you have a tech nerd friend who, t- who showed you how to use this feature, right? But mouse support in particular, that... Well, Once that's that's also for the person who's configuring their mom's iPad and who doesn't know how to find the big type. And now that accessibility is up at the top, it's yeah. going to be a lot easier to surface that. Yeah. And also, there are more accessibility functions for setting up your device. Used to, you could, well, you could, you could do it with voiceover, but now you could do it with switch control and with invert colors and with the other accessibility features. So it's just expansion of that platform. And uh, yeah, it was an extremely good year for accessibility. I picked the right year to come. 
Yeah, and they were, and I think they said that they were going to like prompt people more during the setup process to say, "Hey, you just you know, here's some features that you might." I don't know they prompt for like text size, but they might prompt for like, "Oh, do you want this feature?" I haven't I haven't set it up, but I recall that from the keynote. I think that's a good idea. Like, the setup procedure is so long anyway. Why not put the accessibility features in front of people and say, "Hey, do you want this?" Or what do you are not they, want this? if not? Uh, options right. for users who might want to avail themselves of them. Right. They shouldn't be a secret because well, the, this is you're setting it up. Set it up the way it's going to work for well, you. Well, right. The issue is if you're not able to set it up at all without accessibility <laughs> yeah, yeah, features. That's true. And yeah, voiceover, it, it does it does prompt you at the very beginning to use voiceover if you wish. But if you're like me, if you're a dark mode or an invert colors user, uh, that's not an option for you. Yeah. And, and the text sizes are a little further down the way. Like if you're if you're doing a large iPhone, you're going to get access to display zoom within the setup process. But there are a lot of accessibility features that somebody might actually need, especially given that one of the first things you have to do is interact with the keyboard, enter passwords and the like. There are a lot of those accessibility features that aren't available in setup right now. So I'm looking forward to seeing how many of those actually pop up right at the beginning. Now, John, you, I know, especially back when you were writing very long reviews for Ars Technica, you were using dictation. And one of the things that struck me is that there was dictation in the OSs before, mm -hmm. but the difference is it's one thing to dictate little streams of sentences. It's another thing to turn, to open up the dictation, start talking, make corrections, mm -hmm. continue talking. That is a whole other level. And I was very impressed with that. Like that, because for me, it's always like, well, I could do this, but it's going to break down because it's going to get something wrong and I'm going to have to stop and start moving the mouse and all of that instead of just saying, oh, correct that kind of thing that like dragon could do i don't know if it's going to be at that level but i was encouraged by the fact that it's a much more advanced kind of dictation than before yeah, yeah i hope it will be because uh, i usually ask myself this question is dragon's expensive and it would be annoying and it like would take system resources and it was always so huge on my disc surprisingly and you had to train it but and it's like why don't you oh dictation is built in now why don't you just use that it's like it's not the same thing i need to be able to use all the little macros and correction shortcut things and be able to spell out punctuation and know how it's going to work and dragon did that uh, and I'm so glad to see that in the operating system because it was, you know, for so many years it was like, okay, Apple, you can add dictation and it's great for like someone to send a message to somebody in iMessage or something, but I can't use that to write with. Like it's too frustrating for me to use that to write with. And so I kept, I stuck with Dragon and Dragon's Mac support has always been a little bit, you know, I was like, please, yes, just put it in the OS. That was also part of the voice control demo so that if you are using voice control to interact with your device and you want to go back and correct and, and change things on the fly, that's available. So dictation makes that possible. That's super exciting. We have much more to talk about, but first I want to take a break and tell you about our sponsor this week. This episode of Download is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud, and you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro resources and node location. Even a couple of dummies could do it to set up a server for live streaming for Relay FM. which, uh, oh, st hi, Stephen, I didn't see you there. You and, you and I were the dummies. It's true. It's true, yeah. And it worked great all week. It, it did. It, it held up. We, had, we got some great numbers, and that was something that, that Stephen and I put uh, together. We set up a, a little uh, Linode server in like 10 minutes. It was pretty amazing. Um, and, and that's why it doesn't matter. You could be setting up your first server. You could be deploying something complex. Linode is the place to go. They offer the fastest hardware. They've got a spectacularly fast network. They've got great customer support if you ever need help. Uh, and we did. And we looked it up. And it solved all of our problems. It was pretty great. It's easy to launch a Linode cloud server. We did it in 
in moments. Block storage now available. Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, Singapore. You choose the location. It can be nowhere near you. That's just fine. Um, version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta. It includes an officially supported Python CLI. And they're also hiring people. So go to linode.com slash careers if you would like to work. You could scurry about the data center scurry? if you wanted to. Scurry. Like a run around? Yeah, yeah. You could just like, uh, it's it's nice in the summer, especially because it's presumably like air conditioned well, in there. every other aisle, I guess. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, anyway, pricing options to suit everyone. Uh, kind of amazing that you can get a server on the internet, one gig of RAM, $5 a month. There are also high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. And there's, of course, a great offer, dear download listener. You can go to linode.com slash download FM and use the promo code download FM 2019 to get $20 toward any Linode plan. That means on that one gig of RAM plan, you can get, do the math, four free months. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee. So give it a try today. Linode.com slash download FM, promo code download FM 2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Now it's time for the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar. There's so much going on in San Jose this week. But Stephen, I believe there's important ice cream related news. I think listeners of this show will know that I'm a sucker for a good code name. So New York City has launched what it is calling Operation Meltdown. Like you said, it's about ice cream trucks. So apparently these vendors are racking up millions of dollars in parking tickets and the city has had enough. They have, uh, you know, these vendors have been like using shell companies, according to the story, like just trying to get out tickets. And the city just is rolling up its sleeves and they are uh, capturing these trucks, seizing the trucks if the tickets are above a certain fine, charging people uh, 22,000 court summons, nearly $4.5 million in unpaid fines. I would say New York City's not messing around with ice cream trucks anymore. Has crime in New York City really gotten so low that, that we're now down to the ice cream truck you know, parking tickets? I did tickets have that <laughs> thought, like on the list of priorities, maybe there's other things to yeah. handle first. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there are piles of scooters on every corner. John, these are super predator ice cream trucks. <laughs> uh-huh. I think what happened is someone had the idea for the code name, and they were like, we need yeah. to backfill this into a project. Maybe they were bothering like rich people in their neighborhood, and that's why this happened. Def- 100% that's what they, happened. They, there's <laughs> such disregard for the, the parking rules now in New York City that occasionally you'll go down a street and there'll just be ice cream trucks parked all the way across mm-hmm. the street blocking it entirely because they yeah. just don't care. So you got to stop that. you got to have the flow of traffic. Can't yeah, just because your trucks. van is full of sugary goodness doesn't mean you can do what you want. Maybe it does. They think it does. We should probably get back to WBDC. Okay. Uh, the iPad and the Mac, as I mentioned earlier, are growing closer. Project Catalyst, formerly Marzipan, iPad apps on the Mac, uh, is here for developers to actually use now, uh, as opposed to those four demo apps that were in Mojave last year. And I imagine this summer will be full of betas and stories of adventures of iOS developers turning their apps into Mac apps, or perhaps Mac developers picking up the code base of their iOS app and using it to make a better Mac app. We'll see. Um, John, let's start with you. How do you how are you feeling about uh, iPad apps on the Mac? Everybody's favorite phrase. I feel kind of bad for that effort because they kind of got 
uh, you know, overshadowed by Swift UI. Right. Uh, so we're all excited about the the ease of bringing iPad apps to the Mac. Uh, and, and before the show, we were speculating about, uh, you know, what this means for the future of development for Apple's platforms. And it seemed to be a nice unification like, hey, use UI kit. You can use UI kit to write for the phone, the iPad, and then bring that same app to the Mac. It's just an expansion of this new new way that Apple wants you to develop apps. But at WWDC, Swift UI was introduced and that is so much more clearly positioned as the new way to write applications for your Mac. Oh, and by the way, in the meantime, if you have an iPad app, here's an easy way to bring it to your Mac. And the second thing about this whole effort that kind of surprised me, even though I haven't installed any of the betas because I've just been running around at the show, I'm surprised that more of Apple's built-in applications weren't... Marzipanified? Ca- ca- catalystified? <laughs> iPad app to the Mac. To, yeah, um, because there are many, many strong candidates uh, but they did some weird stuff. Like, I think the Reminders app is not Catalyst Marzipan, whatever. Right. And then, which and, is And the Messages is like... Uh, sort of, kind of. Is native with some secret catalyzing right. inside it. <laughs> and uh, to, to just give two examples. So Messages should have... They sh- if they just brought over the iPad version, it would have all the features and it would be consistent. Right? But they didn't do that. Is it because they didn't have time? Is it because they didn't want to spend the resources on it? Uh, reminders, is it because that project started before the Catalyst thing started, right? So it's it's kind of a weird hodgepodge, but definitely that, that whole effort, as great as it is and as many as many wonderful iPad apps as we're going to get and as much shovelware as we're going to get, like that will really change the face of the Mac. But it came out at exactly the same time as as Swift UI dipping its toe out and dipping its toe and saying, I'm over here. And right now I might not be that big of a deal, but Apple's messaging is very clear. Swift UI, you know, spans all their platforms. It spans more platforms than Catalyst does. And so it didn't, you know, Catalyst didn't even have its moment in the sun where we could talk about it being the future already. We like, that's oh, not the future. It feels is. a little transitional instead, right? Yeah. And it's, it's still great and it's still powerful and wonderful. It's still going to change the face of the Mac. Um, but all the rumors before was that, you know, Amber, we're not sure when that's coming out. But for now, let's just talk about Marzipan. And now we have all new words for those things and they're out, <laughs> at, the, and they're out at the same time. And it's a little bit of a confusing time. The, the, the saving grace is that iPad apps on the Mac seems like it's fairly mature and straightforward. And you can just do it now or whatever. Whereas Swift UI is clearly in year one, and there are so many obvious like limitations and gaps. But year two, year three, year four, we'll see where this is going to go. And you can mix and match them, is my understanding. So that's the nice thing is people mm-hmm. can start picking up Swift UI and using it in their existing. They don't have to wipe the slate yeah, clean. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a new it's a new API, but it's not like a rewrite your app new API. It's a make this view with Swift UI and see how you like it and find the limitations. And next year we'll fix them and it'll be a little better. And then if you're starting a new app, maybe start it in Swift UI. Like just that ball is starting to roll. I guess that's not too different from the path Swift itself took starting, what, five years mm-hmm. ago that, hey, you can start to mix this into your programming and it will change and adapt and you'll have to change and adapt with it. So I, I can see this being a multi-year process, but, like you're saying. This is, but Swift UI is more mature than Swift was because was Swift it? was like Swift changed, the language itself changed so much that it would break your apps all the time. You right. had to bundle the stupid runtime with it because they didn't have A to B I stability until this year, right? Whereas Swift UI, the things it does, it does well and it's ready to go right now and it doesn't require any, you know, weird stuff. Like it's, I don't think Swift UI is going to change as much as Swift changed okay. between now. And so I feel, I feel like it, the only limitations are it doesn't have all the features yet. It's it's basic and, and it's surely going to change, but I don't expect like Swift UI 2 to come out next year and break everybody's Swift UI 1. Yeah, I interviewed uh, a couple of guys and that'll be in upgrade on Monday for those who are want to hear more about Swift UI and I asked them uh, the Apple guys about um 
whether Swift UI was sort of like a first try and, you know, it's more for simple interfaces now and then down the <laughs> road it'll be. And they were just like, no, mm-hmm. you can absolutely push this thing as far as you want to go. It is not just for baby interfaces. Mm-hmm. It is for a lot more than that. And they were very confident about it. And I, I'm sure they will have lessons that they will learn in the beta and over the yep. next year. But they were very confident, like, we, they didn't release this thing as a little test yeah, for, it, for sample they, they co- didn't projects. Ma- they didn't make Swift UI between last W. WC and now. <laughs> Put it this way. I've been working on this internally. It's working internally for a long time and it shows. It shows in how well it integrates with everything else. It shows it not only how well that you can stick it into an existing app, but that you can go from Swift UI to put in your own custom controls. And like it's it's very thoughtful and informed by not just Apple's technologies, but also like with web technologies and things and other platforms. It is it is a very modern API, like they said, to, to go along with their modern language. And so Swift is hopefully maturing and now it is able to produce an api like this you couldn't do swift ui when swift was changing every year in radical ways now is you know it's finally come together shelly how are you feeling about this uh, catalyst thing and putting ipad stuff on the mac i guess i am thinking about it more from a from a user point of view because i am not a developer but i wonder what apps will come from the ipad to the mac and be great successes i'm a primary mac user with ipad as a sort of productivity supplement i know that that is changing for a lot of people but i i I don't have a long list of apps that I personally would like to bring from the iPad to the Mac, except those that I work on on the iPad and I would like more seamless uh, ability to, you know, move a file from one place to another without having to actually do that. You know, so I work on a word processor of some kind on the iPad and I can just open the same thing up on the Mac. But for me, and I, again, I know that I am not the typical use case for somebody who's an iPad first person. For me, they're just not a ton of apps in my brain that I just desperately want to see on the Mac that are on the iPad. But I really look forward to seeing how developers uh, take advantage of the iPad's strengths and figure out what people want to see on the Mac beyond, as I say, just, you know, being able to work on both. It's funny because I was talking to Alex Cox yesterday on the Clockwise podcast. It's all podcast interrelated (laughs) stuff this week. Everything is just a podcast now. Uh, And she said something that I hadn't really thought of in this way. And again, she's coming from a very different perspective, sort of the opposite perspective of you, Shelly, where she said, my favorite software is iPad apps. And I use a Mac all the time to do audio editing and video editing and other stuff. But I love all of these apps that are on the iPad. And for her, it was uh, great because she's like, great, those apps that I love will be on my Mac now too. And I thought that is... That is like the perfect scenario for this, which is you've got apps that you love or rely on or you think are great, and you also use a Mac. Now you will be able to presumably get those iPad apps. And like that is that's sort of the idea, right, is to is to to make the richness of some of those apps that aren't on the Mac come over to the Mac. I wonder if it'll convert people too, like or not convert, but like give people who, you know, like Alex, who like, you know, their iPad is their primary platform and they love all the apps on it or whatever. When the, if those apps come to the Mac and they do a good job of porting them, the ability to like do what we longtime Mac users take for granted and like you have the, the thing open and you're doing a thing and then you just like click your downloads folder and grab a file out of it and drag it into the app and it like it appears like that sort of mindless motion of pulling something off your desktop and chucking it and dropping it into a window. Mac users take that for granted. iPad users have never had the, the ability. It's like activate comes kind of share sheet scroll scroll navigate it's like it's like a, a maze even twistier than open save dialog boxes the pervasive multi-windowing drag and drop copy and paste nature on the mac that we all take for granted that 
all iPad apps all get that if they're willing to write, you know, write the code to accept it in a seamless way. So if you had an iPad app that you loved it and you thought it was great that you could do all these cool things with multi-finger drags and multitasking gestures, whatever. imagine when you have a big giant screen and 50 windows and you can just drag things with a mouse. I don't Maybe I'm biased as a Mac user, but I find that so much more efficient. So you get the best of both worlds and people are like, wow, I thought what I really liked was the iPad OS, but really I like this cool app and it's mm-hmm. made even better by being on the Mac. I think that will happen. I don't know how many people it will affect, but I do think there will be some people who are like, oh, it turns out the thing I loved about the iPad were, was the apps. Mm-hmm. And They'll the, and all be buying Mac Pros tomorrow. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the grand plan. And, and those apps are made more proud. Now, that depends on the people building in support for drag and drop, making everything text-selectable right. and copy and pasteable. So if you do a really good job with your port, that'll be true. If you don't, people will just feel like there's like a miniature iPad appearing on their screen. And it's, they'll love that they can use it, but it won't... If you don't take advantage of the features that are exclusive to the Mac... It will just feel like an iPad app. Yeah, I would imagine, especially in the early days, examples would be all over the map. But hopefully the market pushes developers towards that that example of if you take the time to do this, the Mac community will reward you by downloading, purchasing, using your app over someone else's. So I hope I really hope that pans out because if these apps come over and they're mostly sort of half-baked, like they run, but they lack some features, they act weird in certain circumstances that's going to turn people off to the whole idea of iPad apps coming to the Mac, and even the good ones will suffer for it. And that's why you you hear Apple this week evangelizing um, very strongly the three steps to happiness for this, which is step one, check the box. And I, I think it's very clever how they did it. Whoever came up with it, super smart. Step one, check the box is the beginning of a three-step process instead of the end. It's not like there's no step two, right? No, step two is make a good iPad app, which is really interesting, right? Which is like, be a good iPad citizen keyboard stuff. It's on the iPad. Even if you're not going to go today to the Mac, build a good iPad app. And then step three is those finishing touches that make it a better Mac app. And I, I, I think that's a smart kind of way to evangelize with developers. That's the one place that I bristle, though. Three, add finishing touches. Like a menu bar. Yeah. A menu bar <laughs> yeah. is not a finishing well, touch being, on a Mac. They're, okay. they're, being gentle. they're being gentle with these iOS developers. I know. Right? It's, it's like, like, it's like yeah, this come to on. explain to you. you it's can, called a menu you, bar. You can do it. You can do if it. If you really want to add that posh, put it <laughs> in a menu bar. Not, not, uh, not discussed quite as, as widely, but I think uh, I, another scenario here that will be good is there are a lot of developers who do make an iOS version and a Mac version right now. And the dream Mm. at least is they could consolidate Mm -hmm. and make one version and actually save time to either make their app better or perhaps go on vacation. I don't know which one they James Thompson will choose, but we'll see. And give users the benefit of that too, because that's what I really want. I want seamlessly to move from the iPad to the Mac or vice versa. And I want, I'll, I'll happily buy both versions from a developer or however they want to price it if I can get, you know, economies and efficiencies of understanding me because this is an app I'm comfortable with. This is app, an app I love. I'm just switching platforms. I have iCloud or Dropbox there to back me up so I don't have to worry about file management. Of course, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, you know, that's that's what's exciting. And so yeah. obviously I have favorite Mac apps I would like to see go the other way. But if they come from the iPad and they go to the Mac, I, I might switch. Yeah, the, the the dev story is once again clouded by. Okay, so you don't have to have this independent Mac and iPad app now. You can concentrate in one place. And by the way, that one place you're concentrating, you should really use SwiftUI because because <laughs> yeah. that is the path forward, and that will allow you to uh, reuse code and concepts and assets and techniques 
between the watch and the phone well, and the iPad. That's and the, the big TV. picture here, right? right? Is that Apple Apple has been working on a very grand unified strategy mm-hmm. of platform development unification and and it has lots of different parts and now we've seen a bunch of the parts maybe Mm -hmm. all the parts maybe most of the parts but like this is what they've been driving toward for years in the background which is how do we get all of our disparate platforms to actually be like uh if not a platform, a set of tools that's all kind of reusable so that if you are writing software for Apple platforms and you know how to do this, you can write them for all the platforms. I I wish I could remember the motto. Do you remember from the slide? Uh, So the the famous Java thing was write once, run anywhere. And that was later derided because it was like, if you do try to write one app and run it everywhere, it's, it's mediocre at best everywhere. Their thing was, I think, learn once, use everywhere or learn once run everywhere <laughs> it was like learn this api these concepts and i mean i'm mean, gonna make this whole show about swift ui but the, like the the way swift ui works is it abstracts it's a higher level of abstraction it it takes away some of the details and abstracts it so that you can basically use the same concepts in the same code across disparate platforms that the api acknowledges are different you if you write the same text on the screen you will get a different result when you run that on the watch than when you run that on the mac but it's the same words on the screen more or less right. so it is it is a mind-bending you know uh, a mind-bending revolution in apple's uh platform apis and we're just seeing you know again the tip of that iceberg yeah steven always mindful for us running over time which we're not yet but he put something in that is delightful in our spreadsheet john which is maybe we should just cut the mac pro for time because you know who needs to talk about the i mac mostly pro? did it hoping you would tell john it was a suggestion <laughs> <laughs> i have many other podcasts where i can discuss the mac pro, so don't, don't cry for me it's true but we should at least mention apple did announce the a mac pro and uh pro display xdr your six thousand dollar computer and your six to seven thousand dollar display um and i just you know they said they would do it a couple years ago and here it is and it is definitely for high-end pros and it uh people who have forgotten that apple has spent the last 12 years pushing the mac pro higher and higher and higher and making it not a mainstream computer they seem people have forgotten that and are now kind of grumpy about the fact that it is exactly what it was always going to be which is a very high-end piece of hardware for some very specific markets who want it and and need it and that's what we got yeah honestly i don't think the mac pro itself is that outrageous like it's not it's not like the mac pro itself is a $20,000 computer that mortals can't buy. It's the monitor that's really throwing everybody off. The monitor Uh, is the world's cheapest $40,000 reference monitor. exactly. Which is is, such a deal. Which I don't think was on people's radars. And Apple doesn't make any other monitors. And it's really skewing things. Because the Mac Pro, yeah, it is creeping up in price or whatever. But it's also creeping up in capability. And this is the big super duper high end. And so that's, that's fine, right? But the monitor is, I think, caught people by surprise. Because... People wanted a bigger monitor, and they figured, well, you know, the, the 5K iMac comes with a monitor. Maybe there could be a bigger one, like a 6K or an 8K monitor. And that's what they were thinking. Take the iMac screen and imagine a bigger one. We didn't get that. We got something much more complicated, much cooler, much better looking, but way more expensive. It, it is it is literally a great deal if you're somebody who mm-hmm. buys $6,000 high-end monitors or $40,000 reference monitors. Yep. It's not if you're just a computer user who would like a nice yeah. monitor and, because and honestly, it's still $6,000. I think they have gaps there, too, because even if you're in the market, you're one of those pros that was in that the dark room with their big giant audio board and like whatever. Um, 
if you're doing audio, for example, I believe audio doesn't really need HDR when, you, yeah, when you're editing audio, right? That's absolutely true. Right? And so if you wanted to buy a system from Apple and you want to buy 17 of those Mac Pros because they're awesome and you're like, well, I need monitors to display logic on, Apple won't sell you anything except for a monitor that is way overblown for your yeah. need as an audio editor. And that's so there's there's obvious gaps. And well, look, by a third, plenty of people make monitors. We say Apple sells the LG monitor, but those those monitors are not good. So there's a gap. I feel like they could have missed a lot, uh, a lot of criticism if they had also just taken, I mean, literally taken the I, the iMac uh, panel and mm-hmm. put it in the same design language and marked it up 30 yeah. percent and sold it. And the audio editors would buy that and be like, good, I can see logic tracks. They're fine. This audio editor would buy that when I, when I first saw the monitor i imagined the first podcast at which somebody said I have a confession to make i'm really thinking about that big monitor and <laughs> because i know my podcasting friends who like to buy the newest and, and greatest and this may be a bridge too far even for them <laughs> yeah um and i and i i'm sorry i have to talk about the stand because it it feels like <laughs> it feels like nickel and diming because i think you could have easily added a thousand dollars to the price of the monitor yeah. and made the case it's, that you already just did that it's a forty thousand dollar reference monitor for six thousand dollars which see you already transmogrified you did the math you added the stand yeah, to the cost of the monitor which is the exactly right thing to do it it looks nickel and dimey and it's why people ask what the wheels of the mac pro cost because because of the stand it That's feels like it an happens. own goal to me that they yeah. didn't just add the 999 in and say oh if you want a visa mount it's you can $200. take 800 dollars off right, of it right and, and and nobody cares and you might buy the visa mount as well in case there's a change in your circumstances whatever it could be a package <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so, so it seems inappropriate to use the the uh colloquial phrase nickel and diming when we're talking about a thousand dollars is there another phrase two hundred and nine ninety nine gold That's, bullioning i don't know what they're doing <laughs> It's a it's a commemorative nickel and dime that are made out that, of gold. That That's off, what it is. Rolls off the tongue just the way iPad apps yeah. for the Mac does. Yeah, but yeah, you're right, John. The the you know for price the way it is, like that Mac Pro is exactly what it needs to be, and it's not for you know mid range hobbyists, but it's also not like an outrageously expensive computer. Mm-hmm. It is it is for what it is as a high end workstation. It the the monitor changes the conversation, and I, I keep coming back to the fact that the monitor, the way that the price is quoted, the fact that they don't also have a cheaper monitor mm-hmm. for people who don't need that kind of stuff, because it, you know we've all looked at those other monitors and they suck. They're they're ugly. Uh, they don't have that touch that Apple brings to their monitors. And, um, you know, it seems like a couple different moves and a whole class of criticisms of yeah. these products is eliminated. And I give, the, I give them a little bit of leeway, too, because, like, this is, this is a stake in the ground at the very, very highest of high ends. This is not the end of their pro yeah. product lines, right? So if you're going to make a statement, this is how you make a statement. Yeah, maybe this uh, fall there will be a 5K or 6K yeah, Maybe uh, not this display. fall. Think, things move slowly <laughs> in Apple Land, but, like... <laughs> It, they made a statement and it's it's uh, they did right? that they it, did and as I, as I said in atp no one is confused about uh why this product needs to exist when the imac pro exists that nobody has that that issue in their mind they're so incredibly differentiated that that yeah you know as someone who's got an imac pro i know jason does too yeah. I, I was a little concerned about that going into this that is this going to sort of take the ground out from underneath the iMac Pro? Is the iMac Pro a one and done? But you're right. They've clearly left room for it. There's room for like seven other models in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for people like with workflows like Jason and I, whose work is very similar, the iMac Pro is a great option. You know, if I end up with a Mac Pro, it'll be because I want 
one, not because mm-hmm. my workflow demands mm-hmm. it. Or like, you know, 16 years from now, you'll have one, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, when I can pick one up <laughs> on uh, Craigslist. Marco will buy you one as a gag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. I love it when they become gag gifts at the end of their life cycle. That's the true end of any product. It's a gag gift. Uh, okay. Before we go, I usually like to do something that will cheer you up because we talk about so many terrible things. I feel pretty good, though. I know, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm Let him cheer us consider up, this, Basically, you got, you got dessert, and now you get another dessert at the Boy. end. Mm. How about that at 10 in the morning that's awesome Uh, except (laughs) this story begins in a garbage truck oh so the story itself is going from sad to happy (laughs) is what you've done uh a garbage truck uh not an ice cream truck probably no parking tickets uh provo utah uh garbage truck truck driver driving down the street starts to hear cries for help coming out of the back of his truck Oh, no. I don't, uh, I don't like this story. <laughs> uh, so it turns out that there was a, uh, a 43-year-old man who was sleeping in a dumpster with his puppy, so presumably a homeless gentleman. Oh, man. And uh, the gar- it was collection day, which was not good, and he and his puppy were uh, collected into the garbage truck. But the garbage truck driver heard the man's cries for help, stopped the truck. He was taken to the hospital. His injuries were minor. The puppy was just fine. And in the link we'll put in the show notes in the Desert News, uh, adorable pictures of a police officer holding the escaped puppy. The puppy is is fine. The puppy is just fine. Yeah, John leaned over to look at the picture of the puppy. It's such a cute puppy. It's very cute. So in the end, what I'm saying is the puppy was fine. And isn't that nice? That is good. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Download. Uh, John Syracuse, thank you for joining us here in San Jose, where heavy objects are being loaded and unloaded right behind us. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you for ending on a puppy. Yeah, always, always. Shelly Brisbane, thank you. People should check out the Parallel Podcast at Relay FM. They should do that, and there will be even more Apple news coming your way on the next episode. Excellent, excellent. And Stephen Hackett, thanks for showing up. You're welcome. It sounds like I'm some sort of... Uh, <laughs> Are you just sometimes you're here and sometimes, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're here, sometimes you're not. No, it's fun to do this in person. It and, is. Uh, yeah, good week. Good big week. Lots of stuff going on. Ice cream trucks, double parked outside. Who knows what else will happen. But we will be back next week to talk about the headlines of that week, which we don't even know about now. But until then, we'll keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>